Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to release a message to you this morning called Revival, the Rapture, and the Revelation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a text that I have not been able to get away from for several weeks now. So I want to begin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, that you should not quickly, you should not be quickly shaken from your composer or disturbed by either a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as God. Do you not remember while I was still with you I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work And only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. (laughs) How many know you're in the way? And then the lawless one will will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them an illusion influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Revival, the rapture, and the revelation lord speak to us today i pray in jesus name and everyone said amen, amen. you can be seated in the presence of the lord today so in time theology or what we call eschatology which is the study of last things It's not something that I have spent a great deal of time preaching on. Been preaching now 37, 38 years. Haven't really taken that much time. I've read read in time theology. I've studied in time theology. I've listened to great teachers and Bible teachers uh, who really seem to have a great grasp on in time events. And how they will unfold. Matter of fact, next week, I'm going to try to do something that I've never done before. And I am going to preach 
chronologically from, from the rapture of the church to the new earth and the new heaven. I'm going to preach through that. And, 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 and you say, why are you doing this? Well, obviously, there's a heightened interest right now uh, with, you know, prophecy and end-time events because of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And, and then we have China, you know, kind of hanging out there, I and Taiwan, and, and everybody's like, is this World War III? Is this it? Is this it? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know because we've been in places before where we thought it was it, and it wasn't it. But obviously, we are in that season that Jesus called birth pains. You know, we, and, and, and that's, that's, when, that's when the prophetic uh, things, the pictures that we see in the end time, the signs, um, that they, they begin to happen more frequently with greater intensity. Intensity and frequency. And, and so definitely we're, we're, we can say for sure we're in the birth pains of the end time. And obviously we're closer than we've ever been before. Uh, to, to the last days of the last days, yes? Um, we, we believe that the last days began on the day of Pentecost because Peter stood up and said, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And so, we, so we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Now, I have to say this, somewhere along the way, it's got to happen. So we can't keep pushing it off, kicking the can down the road. Because, you know, uh, so the Holy Spirit really began to push this on me. So, man, I started reading and, 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 and uh, you know, reading blogs and, and, and uh, you know, uh, reading books and, and, you know, just doing all kinds of watching videos. And I'm like, man, holy smokes, there's so much information out there. It's like almost not good for you. Right? So I thought, well, you know, because it's like I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an exhorter. I just, I just get up and I just exhort. That's what I do. And that's my, 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 my preaching gift is a gift of exhortation. I, I don't really consider myself prophetic. I don't consider myself one of those guys that really has an intellectual grasp on, especially when you talk about all the end time things. You know, we all sit there and like shake our head like we really understand it. But we're going, I don't have no idea what he's talking about. Don't have a clue. I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying that's just the way it is sometimes, you know. And, uh, and so anyway, so, uh, but I, did, I, just, I just felt the Holy Spirit pulling me on this, and I was somewhat reluctant. I said, Lord, probably a lot of people are doing this right now, but I really felt like I needed to bring something to this house on this right now. And um, because, you know, uh, there, there's, just, there's just a lot of things that are really happening, really, really happening in the earth that are prophetic signs of the coming of the Lord. And so, so what I want to, uh, so I've been somewhat reluctant in my own spirit. Even yesterday, when I was trying to wrap this up, I Lord, I, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> it's like, this is not good. This is not good, Lord. This is Saturday, and this is not good. And, uh, and so I finally, I just wrapped it up and said, here we go. Here we go, Holy Ghost. It's, 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 we, well, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, but listen, the reason I'm sharing this is not, I am going to give you, especially next week, I am going to give you a lot of information, uh, biblical information and, and, and concerning the, the end, end things and the last things and how, what's going to be taking place. But um, my, my heart is not to give us information. My heart is for this to become revelation. See, eschatology, the study of last things. See, eschatology deals with the unfolding of God's eternal plan from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. The value of understanding eschatology is that it brings hope. It brings hope. When you understand really what God is doing and that God is working a plan, it brings hope. 
Just uh, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our, our, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And so when, we, when you really understand eschatology, then you, then you understand that, that it is a biblical teaching of the last things that produces in us something that will affect our future. It affects our future. So the value is that gives us hope. Hope is expectation of a brighter day of a better day. And so when you really look at true biblical eschatology, and you should know this by if it's biblical or not, after you're done hearing it, it should create a faith in you as a child of God and a Bible-believing child of God that the better days are ahead. Somebody shout yes. What we expect to happen in our, in our future affects our present. It affects our attitudes. It influences our choices. You know, most people build their expectation of their future on what government says, on what media says, on what culture says. But when you have a Bible worldview, your future looks different. What they say may happen in time, but you have to understand that you are living out the eternal plan of God and that we are in a season and a time where that plan is unfolding right before our very eyes. This eternal, God's prophetic eternal plan. The good news First of all, is God has a plan. He, he, he has a plan. And we're in it, and it's unfolding before our very eyes. As the church of Jesus Christ, we can, we can take faith and hope and rest in the fact that we are in the plan. The church is in the plan. And, and, so, and so, so, when you, when you, uh, the, so when you look at Scripture, then you understand that the plan of God isn't something that is totally hid, even though the Bible says it is a mystery, but we understand that through Scripture, we can understand and follow God's eternal plan. He's laid it out for us, and the good news, it's His plan. He didn't get it from anybody else. He didn't get it from government. He didn't get it from uh, CBS and CNN and Fox News. God has his own plan. He made it up all himself. In the recesses of eternity, the God has said, here is the plan. Yes. And I got, I got good news. When you make the plan, you get to determine who wins. Hell may have a plan, but hell didn't make the plan. Hell may resist the plan, but hell doesn't own the plan. God made the plan. It's his plan, and it's going to work out just like he planned. So when the dust clears and we get to the end of everything, God wins.
good news. When you get to the end, it's just the beginning. Oh, that went. What we say is the end is really just the beginning. We're just, we're, God's working a plan to get his people into eternity, to get his people into a place called heaven, to get his people into a place that is a better, brighter, holier place than we've ever seen before, to get his bride connected to his groom. This is his plan. If eschatology teaches us anything, it teaches us that God is always up to something. He is never reacting. He is never responding. He is, he is in charge and he is making every step, every step of the way. He doesn't have to replan because the enemy stepped in and decided he was going to do this or he's going to do that. The enemy, uh, listen to me, in, in reality, he is nothing but a puppet in the very hands of God. And when it comes to eternity, Eternal things, he has no business in it. Doesn't mean he's not a foe. Doesn't mean he must not be challenged. Doesn't mean he must not be rebuked and set aside by the church. This is our job. But understand when you get to the eternal end of this thing, God will be God still. This is why it's important for us not just to get prophetic information. You see, when you receive end-time teaching just as information, it can create within us a root of fear. Because it's, it's, it's quite frightening if you just take it as something that's going to happen. But when it becomes revelation, it becomes a source of hope. This, this is the value of understanding eschatology is what I'm trying to, to lay this foundation. Why we say, I don't really care because I, I, I know what's gonna happen is gonna happen, so I don't really care. No, you need to know. So when you see these things happening, you will understand it is the plan of God and they must happen. You can't pray it away. You can't fast it away. You can't prophesy it away. It must be played out the way God planned. And when I understand that, then there is hope. That's why Titus called it the blessed, or Paul called it to Titus, the blessed hope. He said, we are looking for a blessed hope. For the appearing of the glory of our great God. I, I, I just want to encourage you as Paul did in Thessalonica in our text, not to be quickly shaken. 
Listen to me. We know biblically everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Every, I'm going to say it again. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything but you. Because he said, don't be shaken quickly. So when it looks like the world is falling literally apart and there's absolutely nothing that makes any sense, don't be shaken by it, but be strengthened by it because you are an unshakable, spirit-filled men and women of God. Yes? Before I speak about revival, which is not unusual, let me talk about the rapture and the revelation. Our text, Paul says, now we request of you, brethren, I'm not going to work on every scripture here. We'll be here all day, but just a couple here. Now, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him. They say, I'm doing this, why? So you will not be shaken. There again, he's saying, if you understand the coming of the Lord and you understand the gathering together to him, you won't be shaken. I believe here in this text, and let me say this because there are... Obviously, you know, eschatology has a lot of different, uh, it's got a lot of hands on it. Figure out how to say this. So there, there are different points of view of the same scriptures and text. There are different ideas, especially when you talk about the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming. When I talk, when I say the rapture and the revelation, when I say the revelation, I'm talking about the second coming of Christ. The rapture and the revelation of Christ are not the same thing. The rapture and the second coming are not the same thing. I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to work on this for a minute. And, and I see this, for me, I see this very clearly. From my, from my prophetic uh, viewpoint and, and, and my opinion, of eschatology. And, and by the way, let me say this, because I have some very genuine close friends that I highly respect and believe in and carry a great anointing on their life that, that have a different view of this than I do. I don't think they're heretics. I think they just believe what they believe and I believe what I believe. As long as ultimately we all get to the same place at the same time. And then it used to be, you know, well, it all pans out in the end, so whatever happens, happens. But that's not, a good, that's not good enough for me because I need to know something and see something in Scripture that I can put my faith on to where I won't be shaken. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I'm not here to, to put anybody else's belief system down. I'm just simply here to release what I feel as your pastor and the apostolic leader of this house prophetically what I see in Scripture. 
If you choose to see something differently, that's between you and God. I do know this. Once we all get to heaven, I don't think any of us are going to sit around saying, I was right and you were wrong. I don't think we're going to really care once we get there. Yes? So here in chapter 2, we said, now we, requ- we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord and our gathering together with him. So to me, what I see right here is the revelation of Jesus, the coming of the Lord, and the gathering together as the rapture of the church. I see them as two events, not the same. Obviously, everybody wants to know when the rapture is going to take place, if you believe in the rapture. But we know very clearly that Jesus taught us that no man knows the hour of his appearance. No man, no angel. Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. So first of all, if anybody begins to tell you they know when Jesus is coming, you might want to just say, talk to the hand and go the other way because they don't. That would be your clue. You probably don't want to hear the rest of what they have to say. Just trying to help somebody out. So, So let me just real quickly talk about... The rapture and the revelation, then I want to close out by talking about revival this morning. Like I said, next week, I'm going to go biblically. I'm going to take you from the rapture all the way through to the new heavens and the new earth. It's which we really, when we began to, it, to just, then it's just eternity. It, we have nothing after that, biblically. It's just eternity. But, so, the word rapture It's not in your Bible. So if you've already been looking in the index, it's not in there. Our concordance, it's not in there. But the word harpazio in the Greek is in there. And this is the word also where we we, uh, 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 get the word rapture, which means to snatch away, to catch away. The golden text for this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, and it said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up, harpazio, rapture, caught up together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what I want us to see here is this, I believe, is referring to the rapture of the church. And so Paul is very clear that what's going to take place is there's going to be a great snatching away. There's going to be a great catching away of of the saints of God, the dead in Christ, shall rise first, then all of us who are alive and remain shall meet them in the air. So watch this now, because when you talk about the rapture of the church, Jesus does not come to the earth. He only comes to the clouds. The angel said, you see this Jesus going away? 
you will see him coming the same in the clouds. When he comes in the rapture, it, it, it will not be visible to all. For he's not coming to the earth then. He's coming to the clouds and there will be a shout out of heaven. And there will be a trumpet blast out of heaven. And the dead in Christ shall be awakened from their sleep of death. And they shall rise and then all of us who are alive and remain shall be caught. There is going to be a generation that does not taste death. Whether we're that generation, I do not know. But there is a generation that will not taste death. It was called the rapture of the church. See, and then there's the second coming. The second coming is found in Matthew 24, other places, but we'll look at Matthew 24. Is this all right? Matthew 24, we begin reading in verse 29. Jesus teaching here, he said, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will, be, uh, will not give light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You see, in time, it can be quite frightening. And then the sky of the Son of Man will appear, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. This is the second coming. He's coming, watch this now. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and glory. Now, this is what I want you to see here. This is a visible return. The rapture is not a visible return, for he comes in the clouds, but we also know prophetically, and I'll show you this next week scripturally, that when Jesus comes, the second coming, that he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and it's at the Mount of Olives splits. It splits north and south, and it runs east and west. And it says when he set, when his feet set upon the Mount of Olives, as he comes in glory, and he comes in power, and every eye shall see him, and every eye shall behold him, that it literally shakes the earth. When the enemies are gathering around Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem and Jesus comes and sets his feet upon that mountain, it shall split the mountain, send an earthquake whose shockwaves destroy the enemies of God. There's a lot of things that begin to happen. At the second coming. But here, here's what we, we don't know when the rapture is going to take place, but we know this. We know this, that when the rapture takes place, the tribulation begins. And so we do have a timeline, which I will walk you through next week. We have a timeline that from the rapture to the revelation of Jesus is seven years. There's three and a half years, which we call the tribulation. And then there's another three and a half years that we call the great tribulation. And so the beginning of that is the rapture, I believe, of the church. Now, some people believe the church is going through the rapture. Some people believe the church is only going through half the tribulation. They believe that the, they believe that the, that the tribulation begins, and at the three and a half year point, the church is raptured. 
And then the Antichrist rises and takes full power. And, 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 and then, then they're raptured into heaven. Uh, then there's those that believe that they're post, what we call post, post-tribulation. They mean that they believe the rapture takes place at the end of the tribulation. Now, Paul said, talking about the rapture, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet. The dead in Christ are going to rise. All that are alive in Christ Jesus are going to meet them in the air. Going to be caught up. And then we're going to go be with Jesus. Comfort one another with these words. I could probably make you feel pretty good about the end time if you could just get a revelation that you ain't going to be here. Now, I don't have time to break that down today, but I'm going to do my best to break that down with several, several proofs of Scripture that show that we're not going to be here. Some people, I don't know why simple people want to be here. I don't get that part. I, you know, if you want to believe that, you know, you can believe anything you want to believe. But I don't want to believe that. You say, well, you're an escapist. No, I believe I have a promise. So I got to leave that because I could get bogged down on that. And, I, and that's not what I came to do today. But see, what you have to understand is that the, the, in the rapture, he comes for us. But in the revelation of Christ, he comes with us. Or we come with him. But watch this. Boy, before he comes for us, and we come back with him, he's gonna to come to us. But before I move on, because I, I just felt like somebody's struggling right now because I don't know why you wanna go through the tribulation. And that's fine with me, please believe that. Go ahead. It makes you sleep better at night, that comforts you. Let's, let's do something. Let's, let, me, let, me, let me just do this. This is a little analogy, and then I'll preach on. Let's all pretend that we've never heard about the rapture. Never heard. Probably most of you have. You understand what I'm talking about, at least to some level. And I begin to tell you about the last days. And I begin to tell you and explain to you most prolifically the horrors of the tribulation. And I begin to share with you about all the death, all the destruction, all the plagues, all the pestilence, all the famine, all the drought. Begin to talk about the economic and social collapse at a level that we have never seen before in the history of this planet. I began to talk about one-third of the Earth's population being destroyed at one time. And then later on, a fourth of the population will be destroyed. And then we got to deal with the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the false prophet and the bloodiest war of all time called Armageddon. 
But I want to comfort you after we've been through all of that. Jesus is coming back. That doesn't help me none whatsoever. That doesn't comfort me whatsoever. I'm not saying come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm saying please wait till I die. I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm just thinking this is how my mind works. I'm thinking that doesn't want, that doesn't say come quickly at all. That doesn't say Maranatha. And it's not supposed to be that way. We are supposed to look with anticipation and hope for the return of our Christ, for the rapture of the church. We are wanting to be with him more than anything in this world. It's a blessed hope. We ought to be looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to that other stuff. Can I get a witness? That's the rapture. That's the revelation. But really what I came to preach about today is revival. See, I believe the Bible is full of signs of the last days. And one of the most neglected is revival. Revival is not just possible. It is probable. It is prophetic. It's not just a good idea so we can have lively churches. It is as much in the plan of God as every other sign that we shall see. My God, help me preach this. Whether you realize it or not, revival carries with it a prophetic implication. You see, eschatology has always been at the very heart of the Pentecostal revivalism message. Oh, you ain't hearing me. Anytime that there was revival in the earth, the revivalist in those meetings preached about the coming of Jesus Christ. Anytime God began to stir and move and manifest in supernatural ways, everybody began to talk about Jesus is coming soon. They believed in their Pentecostal paradigm that at the end of time, there would be a revival that would be so substantial that it would prepare a planet for the coming of the Lord. Uh, whether you realize it or not, you are in a Pentecostal church full of revivalists. So just hold on, because here we go. You see, Pentecostals see things differently. If you've not been around us long enough, you may have not figured that out yet, and maybe you're starting to and you're getting nervous. But what you have to understand is that we see things differently. Our worldview has been framed by our personal powerful encounter by the Holy Spirit. We think different because we know what is possible when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We believe different because we know when the Holy Spirit shows up, everything is possible. 
There can be signs and wonders and miracles and conversions and deliverances. Miracles and healings. Our encounter, our Pentecostal encounter, which is what moves us deeper than others, is because we still believe, most of us, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And that that experience is a part of revivalism because it always carries encounter and change with it. When you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it changes the way you live in holiness doesn't mean you're perfect it doesn't mean we're sinless lord we all know that but what it does mean is we refuse to live in our sin we refuse to live in our addictions and our bondages we know there's a power that's greater and we don't have to put up with it anymore there's a sanctifying power We look at the world different because when we see the world, we don't just see a place going crazy. We see a harvest on the verge. We see a harvest on the verge of hopelessness, saying, is there anywhere else I can go for help? I've tried everything in the world. I've tried this and I've tried that. I've tried it all, but there is no hope. Is there any place I can go to and find help? I say yes. Find a place in revival. Find a place where the presence and the Spirit of God still manifesting. I know where I'm headed. You see, Pentecostal revivalists see Scripture different. Listen to Scripture different. Most churches today wouldn't bat an eye to the Word of the Lord. Preach your guts out, and they look at you like you're half crazy. A Pentecostal revivalist, you preach to them, and they believe that if God did it then, and God did it there, then he'll do it here, and he'll do it now. So preach it, because if you preach it, I'll shout it down. Because it's not just words coming off a page. It's life coming off a page. It's revelation coming off a page. It's my breath coming off a page. I'm talking about revival, the rapture, and the revelation. In Acts 2, 16 and 17, this is where there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Peter gets up because they said, what in the world is going on here? And he gets up and says, this is that. This 
is that spoken by the prophet Joel? That in the last days, God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall dream dreams, or your old men, young men, visions, dreams. Probably young men dreams, old men visions. No, maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's young men's visions, old men dreams, because old men sleep more. So I don't know. It's something like that. So, so anyway, anyway, the bottom line is he's pouring out his spirit. He's pouring out his spirit. So Peter gets up and said, wake up, everybody. This is that. This is that. We're in the last days. This is it. This is a mighty outpouring. So, so the New Testament church, and then it moves on from then in the Pentecostalism, the modern Pentecostalism, early in the 1900s, and you know, through to the Great Wales Revival and, and, and Azusa Street. They, they locked in to this paradigm, this way of thinking about the latter rain outpouring. Let me read some scriptures to you. And if you're a historian, I understand the issues with the whole latter rain movement. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the concept that the early Pentecostals from Acts and then on again in the 1900s when it was like rebirthed. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, watch this. And it shall, it shall come about that if you listen obediently to my commands which I am commanding you today to love the Lord and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in grain and your new wine and your oil. Now, go over to Joel. I was quoting out of Acts 2, but Acts 2 and Joel 2, Peter was quoting out of Joel 2. I just want to read some scriptures here, and I'll preach on this. Verse 23, Joel 2, verse 23. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you rain, the early and the latter rain as before. Now let's go to verse 28. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men, there you go, will dream dreams. <laughs> see, you just use common sense and you figure it out. <laughs> and your young men will see visions. And even... <laughs> I was trying not to look at nobody. Anyway. <laughs> Even on the male and the female service, I will pour out my spirit on those, on those days. Now, then he goes on and he talks in verse 30 and 31, and he talks about really what's going to take place in the, in, in the end times. Now, this is what I want us to see. 
This is important. When you bring these verses together, when you bring them together, basically what you see is that then this was to Israel, obviously. But what you see is that when God's people were obedient, God would send the rain that they needed, that their crops would be fruitful. The former and the latter rain. This is a biblical principle. There are many scriptures on it. But the whole idea is that it was a natural season because Israel were farmers. And then when they were obedient, God said, I'll send the former and the latter rain. I'll send the first and the last. The first rain being at the beginning of the season when you're plowing and you're planting. It's going to help you get the soil ready and get the seed in the ground for the season that is coming. And then you're going to get intermediate rains, light rains. They're going to keep everything fresh and keep everything healthy. But when you get to the end and it's harvest time, there will be another heavy rain. The word here, former rain and latter rain, the word rain there is Gresham in the Hebrew. It means heavy rain. So it's going to begin with a heavy rain and it's going to end with a heavy rain. So Joel comes along and, and, and he takes this thing to, to a whole, whole nother level because Joel begins to talk about how God will do the same thing that he has done for us in the natural. God's going to do the same thing for us in the spirit. And the early church laid hold on this concept. And, 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 and as well, you know, they, they, they took hold of it as well as the early Pentecostals. They took hold of the early and the latter rain. And it became a framework for their, their prophetic world view that they were believing that God would pour out his spirit like he did at Pentecost that he would do it again because he did it at Pentecost because Pentecost was the beginning of the church age which was the beginning of the last days in their paradigm this is how God started this thing so this is how God is going to end this thing and he's going to send another heavy rain and this time it's not preparation to get the seed in the soil this time it's for harvest I'm going to preach something up in here this means prophetically if we are moving for sure closer to the end of time, then we are moving closer than we have ever been to the greatest outpouring of God's spirit upon the earth than we have ever seen. That means great harvest should be expected.
It also meant to them that they would be the restoration of the Acts Church, a restoration to apostolic faith and power and preaching. It shifted everything because their preaching began began to be labeled full gospel. And if you follow the, 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 the early revivalists, in the, in the early 1900s and even into, you can even go into the, to the, uh, the tent meeting revivalists and all of those in the, in the 50s and the 60s. And, and you can go into all, all of that and the healing movements and, and all of that. All of them kind of had a worldview. This, this, there's, a, there's a revival coming. God's getting manifest. Harvest is inevitable. We must get ready for the harvest. How do you, how do you get the harvest in? Press deeper into the coming of the Lord. Y'all, y'all, y'all ain't hear what I'm talking about. See, they preached the full gospel. They preached it in the churches, and Pentecostal churches anyway. They preached what was called a full gospel, and they preached it under the tents. And what it is, is that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the baptizer slice sanctifier and that Jesus is the healer and that he is the soon coming king. Oh, see, some of y'all, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking. See, I was raised, I was raised on a full diet of rapture, tribulation, second coming. You could just about count on it every Sunday night. Sad rapture, tribulation, second coming. They preached it until they preached people under the altars. They preached Jesus the Savior until every sinner fell on their face. They preached Jesus the baptizer until they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and evidence of speaking in tongues. They preached he's the healer until disease bow before them. And they preached he is the soon coming king. He's the soon coming king. You know why they did that? They did that because they wanted to accomplish two things. First, they wanted the church to understand the urgency of the hour. So you better live right. Because back in those days, you either in or out. It's either heaven or hell. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. They didn't give you a grace break. If you sin and don't repent, hello, tribulation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They believed it. They believed that Jesus came where you in a movie theater. Oh, well. Hope you enjoyed that movie because this hall going to be hell from now on. Oh, yeah. I don't know if all their theology was right or not, but I do know this. It made us live better. When you really think about the fact that he could come at any moment, because I believe the rapture of the church is imminent. What does that mean? It could happen at any moment. It'll make you think twice. That's what I was raised on. You said, oh, that's legalism and condemnation. Well, it kept me right. We may need a little more of that.
They said, if we, if, we, if we teach them Jesus is coming soon, they'll live better. Why do they believe that? Because the Bible says that. Says we want to be ready for his appearing. We don't want to be ashamed when he comes. Yes? But the second reason they priested is, is they wanted the church to understand the urgency of the hour. Souls are hanging in the balance. The bottom line was, anytime they saw an outpouring of the Spirit, they believed the end was close. Time was short. And they had to do everything they could together in the harvest. What does revival have to do with the rapture? Everything. Most theologians do not believe anything else has to happen prophetically for Jesus to come. I stand in agreement with that, but I also have this thing deep in my spirit that says, wait a minute. Before you come, we really need revival. I said we really need revival. I'm not, I'm not talking about a little dab do ya. I'm not talking about a high, having a heightened, a heightened sense of his presence and better services. I'm, I'm talking about an outpouring heaven-sent gully of the Holy Spirit that reverberates from the church walls out into the city, out into the state, out into the nation. A global awakening like we have never seen. I said, God, maybe we need, maybe. Maybe the question is, what, 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 what does revival have to do? Maybe the question is, why has he not come yet? If there's nothing keeping him back, why has he not come yet? Maybe, maybe this will help. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 3, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue as it was from the beginning of creation, blah, blah, blah. Where is his coming? Verse 8. But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Oh, here we go. Shambarabase. The Lord is slow about his promise, as some count slowness. He is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why has he not come yet? Because there's a harvest waiting. There's a harvest waiting. There's a harvest waiting. 
Or should I say he's waiting on a harvest? Could it be the only reason that the church is still in the earth is because there's a harvest waiting. I, I don't know. Let's, let's see what James says. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce harvest of the soil being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Why hasn't he come? Why are you so impatient? The only reason he has not come is there's still people that need to be saved. That's what Peter says. And then then James James talks about the fact that, that, that we just wait for the whole thing. Wait for the former and the latter rain. It's going to bring forth precious produce. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't start calling things something that they are not. Look, I'm an easygoing guy. I can put up with a lot of things. Please hear my heart. God is not done yet. And there are some that are so hungry for revival that they say revival is here. And I understand the concept that you say revival is here is is a spoken word of faith. But please hear my heart. When full-blown Latter rain revival hits this planet. It is going to release treasures in darkness. It is going to shake the very foundation of our nation. And unrighteous people are going to become righteous. Deadly people are going to become life givers. Oh, you ain't hearing what I'm talking about. The point I'm trying to make, God is at work right now. God is moving. There is a measure of revival on this people planet. But don't stop yet. God's not done. It's not just about the church. It's what's going on in the churches are metric for revival or not. We will stop too soon. I come to decree there is more yet to come. We can't afford to cut the corners and say this is it. This is not it. There is a glory. There is a power. There is a manifestation of God's gospel upon this planet. Be patient. We're so hungry for it. Anything comes along, see, this is it. It may be part of it. 
You see, I believe the revival church is living in a place of tension. Of already, but not yet. Wherever there are hungry hearts, God's going to manifest. It's already happening. It's beginning to happen over our nation. It's happening in little towns across America where little small churches and remnants of people are crying out to God for revival. Oh, oh, it's going to happen. It's prophetically, I believe, locked up in. See, our Pentecostal forefathers, they weren't all that ignorant. They had more prophetic insight than we give them credit for. They understood when God's spirit is poured out, that will be the last of the last days. Wouldn't it only make sense that when Jesus returns or we're at the rapture of the church that God would wait until there's more people on this planet that know him than there has ever been in history? Am I a genius or what? I was doing a reading this week in one of my revival books. And uh, came across this thing called Law of Revival. I love reading the historic books. It's called the Law of Revival. And it said this. This is the Law of Revival. It says, there is no point in God saving sinners if they're going to be placed in a stale, stagnant, decaying, dying body. I added that. (laughs) Decaying, dying body that will stifle and choke the life out of them. Why would God produce a worldwide global harvest and have nowhere to put them but dead, dry, stale churches? Revival has always come to the church before it touches the world. Revival has always been the thrust of evangelism and global missions. More people have been converted to Christ, truly born again, experiences, changed lives in times of revival. One great missionary said God can save more people in in a revival atmosphere. than 50 years without one. We applaud missionaries. We applaud those that give their life to evangelism. I speak to you. I say, do not grow weary because your job is about to get easier. 
So I have come this morning and I will wrap this up and I didn't even get into our text. But I stand here this morning with something burning in my spirit. I have more conviction and more commitment and more passion. It has intensified over these last few weeks as I begin to, to look at these different scenarios of the end time and the coming of the Lord. And because I believe, but though I may not understand everything and agree with everything, I, I understand that we are in the last days and that the, the, the great end time revival is not just probable, it is necessary. It must happen. There must be a way, a vehicle that's going to shake the nations and bring the harvest in through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I've come today to close this out by simply making this last statement and the stakes are higher than ever I said the stakes are higher than ever fresh start church it's no longer just about influencing a nation with revival it's about preparing a planet to produce a massive global harvest of souls I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know our part to play in that. All I know is that we have been given a mantle of revival that produced the, the, the quickest harvest this world has ever seen. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the mantle of revival. I'm, I, I, I'm talking about the dream. that Gina Golston had. The dream about the whales revival and her and Kim and myself and others being in Mariah Chapel where the whales revival was birthed. On our faces before God in awe of that place and the sweeping presence of God that came in. I'm talking about the dream. He said he was waiting on us to come. And then it was our time to carry the mantle to our generation. She went, why are you talking about that? I'm talking about this because we have to understand I believe prophetically as I was thinking through this and praying over yesterday afternoon, thinking about the fact that we have been now connected to the Wales revival of 1904, to a prophetic dream, and that we have been mantled for the same results. I don't know who the others were. She doesn't know who the others were. I'm sure we're not the only ones. I'm sure it's bigger than we think. But all I can do is talk to us today in this room. And all I can know is if God put a mantle on Pastor Kim and myself uh, that, has, that is laced with the, with the results of, of the Wales revival, then you are mantled with the same mantle. It's not my mantle. It's not her mantle. It's God's mantle on this house. It is God's assignment over this house. And you say, well, what does that mean? 
mean? What does that look like? Well, if what happened in Wales happens here, then what happened, if it happens today in America, that means over 30 million lives could be converted in six to eight months. There was such an outbreak of the glory and the power and the presence of God in Wales. I tell you what, that 100,000 came in a few months. We're talking about 30 million souls. Somebody needs to get a revelation right now. We didn't ask for it, but we receive it. Get up on your feet and shout yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody moving. I'll be quick. Revival. I've done my best to help us see how important this is. It's not just a thing. It's not just a cool thing. It's not just a happy thing. It's got substance to it. It's laced within time prophetic purpose. Revival. Because I believe it is at the climax this end time revival in the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling in an eye is actually faster than I just snapped. We will be here and then we will be there. Kind of crazy to wrap our minds around, but we don't have to. It's just going to happen. That quick, everything is settled. So I have to do two things quickly. Number one, I have to make sure everybody in this building, you know, are you ready? You don't go because you believe. Demons believe and tremble. You go because you have an up-to-date relationship and encounter with Jesus Christ. You not only believe, but you have been born again. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. You must be born again. So how do I know if I'm born again? Because when you're born again, everything in your life changes. The whole direction of your life changed. If you came forward and prayed a prayer here or somewhere else, but then you walked away and nothing in your life has changed, my friend, you're lost. So why are you being like that? Because I want you to be found. I want you to be ready. How do I get ready? Well, obviously you put your faith in the finished work of Christ. And the trust that he's going to touch you and change you forever. You'll become a new creation. All things pass away and all things become new. 
you will be rapture ready. And then there's the life that we all must live. With his challenges, with his fights. But we press toward our Savior. That we will not be ashamed on the day of his appearing. We will watch. We will prepare. We will be ready. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.